0: Last week, uh, we looked at uh, Jesus being a high priest forever. And in that, uh, we see that we have a high priest uh, who understands us, who gets temptation, who gets what it is to be, uh, to learn obedience through the suffering that he went through we looked at the fact that in in the passage we were in last week, it gave us qualifications and functions of the high priesthood. And we looked at, first of all, as far as the qualifications that they were taken from among men, that these the high priest was from the tribe of of Levi, but not just any Levite could be high priest. You had to be one of the sons of Aaron. You had to be a descendant of Moses' brother Aaron. And so in that, we saw that, God was very specific. Not just anybody could be high priest. And so he had this ordination process that he did. And 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 so we looked at that. We saw that he was also ordained for men, taken from among men and ordained for men, and that Jesus, the perfect man, perfectly fulfilled that aspect of the qualifications for a high priest— yeah, he wasn't from the tribe of Levi, and he wasn't one of the sons of Aaron, but we see that he is the priest of a different order, the order of Melchizedek. Hard word to pronounce. But Melchizedek was this guy that shows up way back in Genesis, and then David talks about him a thousand years later, and, and here, later still, the writer here talks about him, and we'll look at that in depth when we go into chapter 7. Uh, we'll, we'll, really sort of add some shape to who this guy Melchizedek is. But from here, we saw that the function of a high priest was that he had to be not just a meat cutter. Remember, we talked about that. These guys sacrificed animals all day long, every day. But he was more than that. He was called to be a compassionate man, that he would understand the struggles of the people, and that Being the guy, the priest, literally, his, the two functions were to represent man to God and to represent God to man because there had to be a mediator. There was not direct access until after the cross. And so in the law of Moses, the priest was very, very important. The high priest was utterly important because he was the one that atoned for the sins of the people on the day of atonement on Yom Kippur. So we saw that. We looked at, we looked at Jesus being better then Aaron, after the order of Levi, because he ministered in an earthly sanctuary. And we saw that J- Jesus, not the son of Aaron, but the son of God, uh, was better because he's after the order of Melchizedek, which predates the Levitical priesthood. The, the, there is a priesthood, and we're, and we'll, again, we'll look at it. The high priesthood of Melchizedek was long before, centuries before Levi. And so that Jesus not only is of a higher order in the priesthood, but that he ministers not in an earthly sanctuary, but he ministers from the throne room of God. And so he's in the heavenly sanctuary, the the heavenly duplicate of that which God had given instructions for, for them to build when they put together the, the tabernacle and then the temple. So, uh, The other thing about that, where Jesus was infinitely better, was the high priest was a man and that was it. But Jesus being fully man and fully God at the same time, not part man, part God, but fully man, fully God, that he didn't need to offer sacrifices for himself. He led a perfect, sinless life. And in that, he had the ability then to perfectly represent us to the Father. And so it it would have saved a lot of time for one thing, but it put him in an infinitely better position to fulfill, perfectly fulfill the office of high priest. So as we get into this this morning, I I ended last week in the middle of a a sentence. And and the reason I did that is because these sentences are so long. Uh, One of the reasons why I secretly believe that the Apostle Paul might have written this letter. We don't know who it is. Uh, and if I say Paul, it's a Freudian slip. But Paul had really long sentences. We're going to look at one of his sentences at the end of the service this morning out of Philippians when we talk about maturity. But uh, verses 9, 10, and 11, and 12 are really one... Well, 9, 10, and 11 are one sentence. And so... We stopped at the end of verse 10. We're going to begin at the verse 11, but we need to backtrack. You guys will notice that what I'm doing here uh every Sunday, usually, and there might be some exceptions, I don't know, but as we get into this, it's important. I usually backtrack a couple of sentences because context is so important. This is a letter. It's an epistle. Epistle means letter. And And as such... I recommend reading this thing all the way through, not trying to get down into depth into all of the concepts and stuff, but reading it all the way through, reading it like it was written. It was written as a letter. It was written to be read cover to cover. Uh and and so in understanding that we have to that context is so important because the writer is building, systematically building a case for Jesus being better than anything that Judaism had to offer. I back up usually a little bit so that we can understand the flow, understand the context. So I'm going to start in verse 9, even though we've already covered it. I'm going to read all the way through chapter 6, verse 3, as we look at this concept onto maturity uh, this morning. In, in verse 9, it says, And having been perfect and he perfected, he, that is Jesus, became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, uh, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food." For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. Literally, that means mature adults. That is, those who by reason reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ let us go on to perfection, or literally maturity in thought and behavior. There's some wordplay going on here in the original. And he talks about Jesus being perfected in verse 9. And then he talks about uh, this word comes up. But the context determines the use. And so the context here, he's not talking about perfection like we're perfect. He's talking about completeness. Uh, in the same way that he said Jesus was perfected through the sufferings that he had, he wasn't perfected in the sense that he became perfect. He already was. But he says perfection in the sense of completeness or, or, or fullness in that, in that way. He's talking about maturity. He's talking about being perfected in, in, in that context. So understand that. He says not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God, or the doctrine of baptisms, or laying on of hands of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So that's a mouthful. There's a lot there. I'm uh, going to try our best to work through this and unpack this and, and uh, get out of here at a decent hour. But uh, the whole thing that the writer's talking about here is he's saying, "Look, you guys have loosened up." You have become dull of hearing. He, he's putting forth the fact that they have become sluggish. The word dull there means sluggish. It means uh, slothful. It, it, it's the same word as is used in chapter 6 when he talks about slothfulness. He talks about laziness. And so what he's saying is you were doing well, but you have become dull of hearing. Your spiritual ears have stopped taking in the things of God. Uh, we'll talk about that more as we go. In in verse nine of, of chapter five, uh, he says, "In having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him." So, uh, again, that word "perfected" there in verse nine uh, says to bring it to an end, to accomplish, and, and that's what he's talking about with Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the work of redemption for us in his earthly ministry and on the cross. Therefore, his work had been perfected. It had been completed. So with the work of redemption complete, uh, he says he became the author of eternal salvation to all that obey him. In Hebrews 11.22, the great faith chapter, the writer talks about Abraham obeying God by faith Abraham obeyed God when God said I want you to leave this, your birthplace Ur of the Chaldees which is Iraq and I want you to go west and I'll, I'll tell you where to go Abe when you get there I'll, I'll lay it out and so Abraham by faith obeyed God and so what we see here is that when he's talking about obeying it's not talking about obedience being uh Let me explain this here. The author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. He's not talking about, I'm saved by grace through obedience. I'm saved by grace through faith. However, the outworking of faith is obedience. To believe God is to then put myself in a posture that I can obey him. And so you got to understand, this is not, uh, there is some that, Try to take this and make this legal doctrine out of this, and that salvation through obedience. No. Grace is there, but grace essentially sits on the table, unused until appropriated by faith. The grace of God is poured out. All of humanity, the sins have been paid for. However, though it's his will that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance and, and, and come to faith. In the work that he did, he says that 's what you have to do. You simply have to believe that the work was done, and in believing that you 're taking and you 're appropriating my grace. The response to that is obedience. We talked about that last week, so loving obedience is a response to believing him, and salvation is is the result so uh, it's in Paul talks about it in Romans. He opens and closes the book of Romans with a statement called the obedience of faith. And so faith itself is an act of obedience. As such, when Jesus said, you know what? Here's the law and the prophets fulfilled. Love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Everything is accomplished in that. Why? Because as I love God first, that's that's what he wants. As I love others the way that I love myself and I don't have any trouble loving myself uh, that is my faith being worked out that is how we walk by faith we walk by faith we mature in our faith as we appropriate God's word in our lives Uh, he says in Romans chapter 1 he says through Jesus we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake so uh, just understand that it's it's a wonderful thing to be able to walk in grace. But we'll see here that walking in grace doesn't mean, if you ask somebody to define freedom, ask a young person uh, and a lot of young people, I'm not going to say everybody, what is freedom? And generally the answer you'll get is, well, I'm free to do whatever I want. But that's really not freedom. The freedom that we have in Christ is freedom within a secure relationship. And so I understand that there are limits to that freedom, that as I walk with the Lord, uh, I don't, I can no longer do as I please. How can someone who has died to sin still live in it, is what Paul says in Romans. So in um, Verse 10, he says, called by God. Again, this is one sentence. Called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. Not from Aaron, not from Levi, uh, but from Melchizedek, this guy that shows up. Um, I can't wait to get into him. Verse 11, he says, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. The writer is saying, you know, I wish that you could hear this stuff. I wish that you had spiritual ears. I wish that you were in a posture of wanting to take this in, but you're not. You're immature. You're, you're you're missing it. You're missing the significance. He says, but you weren't always, as I mentioned a minute ago, he says, you have become dull of hearing. That's the conundrum that these people are faced with and that the writer is faced with as he lays out increasingly uh not complex but difficult to understand doctrines, statements, concepts for these people, they were still in a place where they were wandering, they were wavering in their faith. Uh, and so when he talks about dullness of hearing, what do you what is the dullness of hearing that he's talking about here? Uh, it, it's literally, as I mentioned, it's lazy, it's sluggish, it's it's disconnected. Faith, you're not walking with the understanding and the fullness that God would have you walk in. Uh, Let me think of the best way to put this. Physical and learning impairments happen. They exist. And, and, And God has grace, room, love, compassion for those things. That's not what's being talked about. What he's talking about here, when he's talking about dull of hearing, this is spiritual hearing. And this is spiritual ears. This hearing damage is the result of either not being willing to or or being unable to take it in. Uh, As I look at this, I think, okay, what are the symptoms of this dullness of hearing? Here are three of them. One is loss of confidence in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. So, the reason this epistle, this letter was written was because people were losing confidence. Jesus, they had expected him to return and he hadn't. They were wanting to live lives that were above the cut and they weren't. They were under persecution and, and, and increasing difficulty and, and they were losing confidence. The The writer writes this because he's burdened for these people and he wants them to come to a place of, of having a fully developed faith, a fully developed understanding of what their lives are about, of what's going on. And it's God's will to to engineer that in our lives as well. So the second thing is there's an inability or an unwillingness. And and again, we're talking about acts of the will here. When he says you're dull of hearing, he's saying you have control over this. This is not something that just automatically, unless you have a disability. Again, I'm not talking about that. What the writer's talking about is people who are saying, you know what, I'm good. I have this ditty that I've read before called three dollars worth of God. I don't want to have a transformed life. I just want about three dollars worth. Thank you very much. And these people were kind of drifting into the three dollars worth of God category and he didn't like it. And he is very strongly uh, rebuking them at this point. He's saying "You you should be further, but you're not. And and I want to tell you that not because he wants to beat them up, but he wants to to kind of shake their cage and rattle them a little bit. Look, guys, pay attention. These are critically important things, things so important. we'll see next week as we get into one of the strongest passages in all of God's word, where he talks about apostasy. Uh, he's saying these are critically important things. This is not light stuff. And... And you're not there at this point, and, and I'm burdened for you, and I'm gonna tell you straight up, you're doing this to yourselves. And there have been times where I've done it to myself. I've shared with you guys, I went through a season in my Christian experience where I had a lean soul, and the things of God just weren't that important. And through some chastisement that God did, and I praise Him for it, very, very difficult, uh, he got my attention and he drew me near and I don't ever want to leave his side again. Not because I'm... Yeah, a healthy fear of, of his chastising hand is good. I mean, nobody likes to go to the woodshed with dad. But really because I, I understand the depth of his love and, and I understand the serious nature of the things of the kingdom and I want to be effective. I don't want my effectiveness hampered because i've allowed my hearing to become dull because i've allowed my walk to become sluggish because i don't really care at the end of the day oh i go to church oh yeah i i know the jargon i know he doesn't want that oh i do devotions no he doesn't want devotions he wants devotion there's a difference yeah and devotions are fine i like spending time with the lord free designated time but but he wants more than that folks he doesn't want my devotions as much as he wants my devotion to him and that comes from having ears that are open a heart that's sensitive uh, uh, just a desire to walk with him in the deep places in, in 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 with integrity and with purpose and with understanding and he's saying you guys aren't here The second thing here is there's an inability or an unwillingness to chew on solid food. He, he talks about milk versus solid food here. And, and the point in this is that we want to walk wisely. We live in a dangerous world and, and wise people are not afraid to think. And that's the point. Uh, that I want to be the guy that goes back and then I work through these things and I, I know that, that That's what God wants to do. And that's what he does in us, isn't it? That we we leave. I pray for you guys. I pray, Lord, just bring to their remembrance the things you want for them. I know that everything I say or everything that you read or whatever, it's not going to apply to you that moment. But God is faithful. How is it that he works in us? Because by his Holy Spirit, he speaks into our lives through his word, through what the Bible calls the foolishness of preaching, and I'll give a big amen to that. But but he uses it because he loves us and he wants to develop maturity in us. And as we go along, that's his revealed will. He wants to bring us to places of saying, you know what? I get what you're saying to me and I'm going to apply that to my life. So there's an unwillingness, uh, not only a loss of confidence in Jesus's, uh, in his work, but there's an unwillingness or an inability uh, to chew on solid food, to take these things to heart. And we'll see that as we go through the text. There's also an unwillingness to live righteously, uh, to think like the Lord. Not churchily, is that a word? (laughs) But to live loyally and obediently to him. Again, devoted to him, not just devoted to the things about him or devoted to church stuff, as good as that is. Yeah, he church is good and there's a there's a place for that, and yes, he's ordained that and he's called us to be not an island to ourselves, but devotion a willingness to live the way that is pleasing to him, that glorifies him. That's an aspect of maturity and that's an aspect of where these people were not as he's writing to them. He wants a commitment to personal holiness. It's not, hey, man, I'm under the grace of God so I can have a foul mouth. Um, and and there are, we're at different places in our development with him. I understand that. But there's a place where as we walk with the Lord and as he begins now to invade different areas of our lives. It's not this legal thing where now he's happier with me. If you understand grace, you understand that he is happy with you. He is ultimately pleased with you because of the righteousness of Christ, which is placed on your life. And positionally, we are sanctified. We are clean. We are holy. And this process of sanctification that we're in, this work that he's doing that he wants us to yield to, is as he conforms us, as he changes us, as he works in us, and he conforms us to the images of his son. And the way that he does that is through speaking to us and finding people with ears to hear, not people with sluggish, dull hearing. That's the writer's point in this. Verse 12, he says, For though by this, this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles or the sayings of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Uh, Guys, remember the, the term? I remember when computers were really coming online and and there was, I, I knew somebody that worked for Jet Propulsion Labs in Pasadena. And, and they had this, the room full of mainframe computers. Remember they had all the spinning deals and all that. And and this woman told me one time that, that, that I knew back then. She said, I was so frustrated at work. I typed in, uh, something into the computer that I shouldn't have and it shut the whole thing down. And I was so terrified that they were going to find out that was me. Garbage in. Garbage out. Remember that saying? Yeah, but it applies not just to computers. It applies to us. There's a principle in the kingdom of God that which you feed will grow and that which you starve will die. These people were starving the work of the spirit in their lives. and, and, And the writer's extremely concerned. We'll look at it next week again. He's concerned that their faith will die. And so he wants to pull them back, to get them back into a place where that dullness has been dealt with and now they're open, they're ready to receive, they're understanding that they have difficult circumstances, but he's the God of difficult circumstances and he meets us in those. And, and, and as we have spiritual ears and spiritual eyes, we see, we hear him in those places. He uses them for his glory. So he's saying the word is not getting in. You're dull and you're sluggish. And when he says you ought to be teachers by now, he's saying the word is not getting out. You you have shut off the work of God in your life. Not only are you not taking in the things of God, you're not teaching others. And you know what? When he says you ought to be teachers by now, he's not talking about people that just have the gift of teaching. He's talking about everybody. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the divine charge that each of us has in this thing called the ministry of reconciliation, which is a call on each of our lives. And these people were not doing it. They were shutting up the things of God in their lives. And so he's saying, not only are you dull, not only is the word not getting in, it's not getting out. And, And you're being stunted spiritually. Your maturity has been stunted. You're not walking in the direction that I want you to walk. You're going backwards. When he talks about the oracles of God, the sayings of God, God speaks. We've talked about that a lot here in Hebrews in this study. And and, and he's saying, you're not hearing of him. Uh, for 2,000 years, the pattern has been the same. As, as God touches my life and I get on fire for Jesus and I begin now to grow and to, to move forward with him, Other people that I'm exposed to, I can't wait to tell them the things that God has done. And we need to be a people that are excited about sharing the gospel, about sharing life and death. It's not Sunday school flannel graphs, guys. Life and death, that's what this stuff is. This is the most serious subject that you will ever approach with any other person. And if you don't know Christ, it's life and death. The life is so good. But the threat of being separated from him for eternity is real. And he's saying, you guys, you, you, you just become slothful. You, you just really are not giving a lot of care. And as a result, you're not excited about getting the word out as well. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 3, the Apostle Paul uh, has... And this is one of the things that it looks very much Pauline with what we're looking at here. In 1 Corinthians 3, uh, verses 1 to 3, the Apostle Paul is talking to the Corinthians, the, the 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 church that was getting rebuked every time they turned around. Because if if you could do it wrong, the Corinthian church was doing it wrong. And uh, in this letter of rebuke in 1 Corinthians, he says this in chapter 3. He says, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. Now, he's not talking about the same as a babe in Christ when somebody's just been born again, all right? That's a whole different deal. He's talking about babies. He's talking about people that are not mature. He says, I fed you with milk and not solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you're still not able, for you are still carnal. Very similar to what the writer is saying here in Hebrews chapter 5. He's saying, you know, there is the new man and the old man. There is the spiritual man and the carnal man. There is the one who is walking in the power of the Spirit, and there is the one who is quenching or grieving the Spirit. And guess what? You're not this one, you're this one, and you need to make corrections in your life. And I love the fact that the Lord always leaves room for correction in our lives. There's one ingredient that's required, humility. you got to be able to take a real good, honest look at yourself to see what it is that the Lord wants to show you. And there are times, folks, honest, honest introspection, honest self examination, and saying, Lord, show me my heart, that can be one of the most difficult things that we go through. Because sometimes, like we see with the, re- the writer here, sometimes the things he shows us are really not that pleasing. And yet they're necessary. They're necessary for our growth, for our edification, for- to build us up. Something I, I want to mention in this too, if you're doing good with the Lord, just take this to heart. Put it in your spiritual bank account. This is, this message is not to beat anybody up. But if, I want to also encourage you, if perhaps the moorings have gotten a little bit loose, if perhaps your heart has begun to drift, if perhaps you're seeing that maybe you're just not caring about the things of God the way that you know that God wants you to care about them, then pay attention he doesn't give rebukes in his word to beat us up. He gives them to bring correction. And when he brings correction, it's for his glory and our good. And when he does that, we'll see when we get to, to chapter 12, there is an effect it has on us. He says, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. There is a calm that comes with correction. So I just want to encourage you in that. Um Verse 13, he says, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Again, not the same as a babe in Christ. Now, the word babe here, I looked this up in the original, and it's interesting. It's not a baby. It's not a, like a newborn, or a baby that's helpless, you know, laying there in the bassinet, or whatever. What this Greek word is, is toddler. Okay, this is a child, it's a young child, out of the, out of, out of the bassinet, you know, that uh, it, it's not a baby, but it's a child that is beginning to sort of experiment with things, beginning to go about and to try to understand what's going on. And, and so, not helpless, but a small child, a toddler. Uh, you don't give a toddler the keys to the car. Why? Because they go in their mouth. Everything for a toddler goes in their mouth. Have you ever noticed that with a toddler? Everything goes in their mouth. I, I, I asked Brian before the service and Brian, can I use your name? He said, yeah. And I said, good. Thanks for not sucking on my keys this morning. Brian and I moved tables down here this morning for the potluck, and I gave him the keys to the car. And and he didn't, because he's a mature adult, he didn't put them in his mouth. And I was so glad. That would be Gross. But the point is, is that there's a difference between being a toddler and being an adult. And what the writer is talking about here is there's a huge difference. He's saying, you guys are acting like toddlers with the things of God. And, and so he says in verse 14, he says, solid food belongs to those who are of full age. Uh, those who are of full age is one word. It means a grown up. That's all it means. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So, why did Brian not put the keys in his mouth? Because he knows they don't taste good. A toddler doesn't know that. A toddler is going to, you know, you, you walk by a tree, they grab a, a branch and stick it in their mouth. It, you know, they're, they're crawling on the carpet and there's a dust ball and it goes in them no, get that. And, how, and we know, we've all pried things out of kids' mouths. That's the point the writer's making. He's saying, no, 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 this is not stuff for toddlers. You're not going to mature in your relationship with the Lord. And this is a great metaphor that he throws out here. He's saying it's not about that. I remember my son, uh, oh gosh, he was a toddler. He was about two. He was still in diapers. And one weekend morning, I woke to this blood-curdling scream in the house. And it was this high, he had this real high-pitched scream. It was like, ah, hurt your ears. And I, I wake up, just get jolted out of bed by this scream. It's, it's not far from and I jump up and I look, and my son—he had taken a little gold chain and he had fed it into a power outlet, and and he's over there going, ah! and he's you know just he's getting electrocuted. He he got enough juice that it flipped the breaker. And I praise God it didn't kill him but he had fed this gold chain in there. It got so hot, it welded itself inside the outlet. And, and, and he had little burns on his fingers and daddy's kissing him. And, you know, and thank the Lord, he didn't have wet diapers because that probably would have hurt more. But I remember, you know, I, I, I left the thing and I made sure the breaker was off. And later that day I said, Justin, come with daddy. And he, he's okay, daddy, you know, and, and it, it was funny because what he would do, whenever he got really nervous about something, he would start doing this. He would push his hands down on his legs. That was his nervous thing. And, and so I walked in the room, and, and there's this gold chain still hanging there. I'd gone down to the hardware store, and got. I was getting ready to change it out. And um, I said, Will you get Daddy that chain, please? And he immediately goes... And and then he started to cry, I don't want to, because he understood what that chain represented was a lot of pain and, you know, the burned fingers and all that. Electrocution. His senses had been trained by that. That's what the writer's talking about here. He understood. And I just scooped him up in my arms and said, I wouldn't tell you to do that. I wouldn't hurt you. I just want to make sure that you understood. never had a problem with that kid with electricity ever again after that. But that's what he says. He says... He says, look, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. He's again, he's talking about what happens when you're growing as a Christian. You're learning as you go. If you don't apply that to your life, you're not going to progress. The reason why we go verse by verse through God's word here is because we want to apply it to our lives. And as we do, we grow. And as we grow, we mature. And as we mature, we're of greater use to our master. And we have a more peaceable life. Because we're not knocked around anywhere near as much as the people out there in the world. And yeah, things hit us. I'm not going to say they don't, because all of us are in process. And yet, there comes a place, usually with me, it's like I have the knee jerks. jerk. It's like, ah! And then I go to prayer, and okay, Lord, yeah, you've got this. All right, all right. Settle my heart. And, and, and yet, if you're not in a place where you're growing in the Lord, you're shorting that from happening. And you're not able to appropriate His Word in your life. And that's what the writer's saying. This is a full age. Again, he's talking about a grown-up. Now, how would it be, again, yeah, I I, I laugh about, you know, sticking keys in your mouth. Well, what about a grown-up? Now, would, are you going to put a grown-up in a stroller? I actually, I, I'll confess, I looked I googled grown-up in stroller because I thought wouldn't it be fun to have a picture of a grown-up in a stroller because it's ludicrous for us to think about because the Bible says when I was a child I did childish things but but then as I grow as I mature then I I let go of those things and I take and I thought that'd be kind of gross I I don't want to put a, a man in a stroller that would look really weird but the point is is that it doesn't fit, does it? In the same way that we don't walk around throwing everything in our mouths, uh, and 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 all of that, and and babies aren't driving cars down the street. There's a place for it. There's a place where he says, "Let us move on to maturity." That's what the writer's doing here. He's giving this metaphor, like uh, he's talking about this toddler, and he's talking about this one who is a full age, and there's a place for the things that you do when you're a toddler you don't do those when you're grown up there's a place for letting go of that and he's saying guys you need to let go of this stuff you need to you need to move past the elementary things and and that's where it gets to next uh in verse 1 of chapter 6 again no chapter breaks uh this is all, again it's it's a letter and, and I appreciate the chapter breaks because it helps me to locate things in the Bible. But sometimes I think they're in goofy places. And in Hebrews, I've already talked about that. I think some of these chapter breaks are like in the middle of a thought. <laughs> and I don't get it. Uh, but he says, therefore, there's that word again. What's it there for? Leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Again, there's that word. It means to complete. It means to Fulfillment, to it to comp- uh, means completion. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So the writer here, he goes into and he cites six basics. Now the basics, they're important. And, and they are important. It's, it's very important that we understand the nuts and bolts of, of our relationship with Christ. And that's what he's talking about. This is this would be like Christianity 101. Okay? Uh, what he talks about first, he says repentance from dead dead works. Uh, literally translated means repentance from works of death. Okay? He's not talking about things that don't count, he's talking about th- certain things that you don't do after coming to Christ. Okay, um okay, road rage is out. Okay, that's it. You come to Christ, you, and yeah, maybe God's working on you. But the point is is that there are certain things that you know that you don't go there if you want to identify as a Christian. And it's not saying that you're not a Christian if you do, because again, we're growing, and yet when he talks about works of death, there are things that you just don't go there. You don't do it. You know intuitively by the Holy Spirit's work, by God speaking to you, that that's just not part of the program. So, important? Yeah. Basic? Yeah. Uh, faith towards God. He's talking about simple faith. You know, things like hell is hot. All right? You, you kind of get that when you've been a Christian for a little while. You, you, you get that there's simple faith, that faith towards God is absolutely essential. We know that. You know that it is an integral part of understanding the gospel. That If you don't believe in the person and the work of Christ, guess what? You're not in. You can't call yourself a Christian. A lot of people do. But in, in any meaningful way, you can't. Very important. You shouldn't be... It, it, you don't, as a, a maturing Christian, you don't have debates over the existence of God. Okay, simple faith, you understand he exists. And so that's a it's it's a it's a dealt with issue. That's what he's talking about here. The third thing he says doctrine of baptisms, uh instructions about washing. So and it's a plural word there, that literally the word is baptismos, uh and, and minimally it is about water baptism, yes, but it's more than that. It's talking about ceremonial washings. In Judaism, they had this whole ornate system through which you had to be clean. And it depended on man to be cleansed. It it was a whole deal that they had. And with the mikvahs and the living water, and we were talking about the men's deal the other night about uh, how the the Dead Sea has an inlet. The Jordan River flows in, but there's no water that flows out. It is not living water. By contrast, the Sea of Galilee to the north, the upper Jordan flows into it, the lower Jordan flows out of it, and there was no need for the Jews to have mikvahs if they lived at the Sea of Galilee because the, the lake itself was considered living water. So he's saying, you know, you don't have to worry. You, you, there should be a basic understanding about that. Uh, these things were all fulfilled in Christ. You don't need to go back and revisit the doctrine of baptisms as you're progressing in Christ, and he says, the, the fourth thing, he says, laying on of hands. Common, basic prayer. Uh, we read in James, is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and lay hands on him, lay, and anoint his head with oil. He says, the prayers of righteous man avail much. Not my righteousness, but his. What he does in that is he provides a point of contact for faith to be released, for healing, to be able to believe God for that healing. That's, and that's basic stuff. It's stuff that they should already know. These guys have been Christians, some of them for 30 years. And they're going back, they're waffling, they're wanting to go back to Judaism, they're wanting to go back to all of the stuff. And he's saying, no, you, this is basic, you should be beyond this by now. The, the last is, or the, the fifth is resurrection from the dead. Again, serious? But basic understanding. Jesus raised from the dead. He's called the firstborn of the resurrection. That means I get to go too. That shouldn't be a matter for debate. It shouldn't be something that comes up in this conversation. And he's not talking about things that are bad. These are all good. But they are all basic understandings of, of Christianity in its base form. And, and it's good to stay sharp on those folks. He's not, that's not where he's going. He's just saying, I've got some complicated things i want to discuss with you especially as pertains to melchizedek because and and you'll see when we get there that there's just some fascinating things in that and and you haven't advanced past the milk of god's word to the point where you can understand the solid food and so the last thing he talks about is eternal judgment again it's the core of the gospel. Either you are for me or you're against me, is what Jesus said. And we know that judgment awaits anybody that has not come to Christ. And that's, again, basic understanding, basic Christianity 101. Uh, So he's not putting these things down as doctrines. They're important doctrines. But what he is saying is, folks, because you have allowed your hearing to become dull, you're not progressing. And you have need of being refreshed. You need a refresher course in the basics, and that's not where I should be dealing with you because I want to go into some really interesting and, and, and edifying and serious teaching with you. But I don't think you're ready for it. It's essentially what he's getting at. He says in, in verse three of chapter six, "And this we will do if God permits." So, what is it? What does maturity look like? And we're seeing what it doesn't look like. Uh, here in the text. So what is it that it looks looks like? What is Christian maturity? How would you define Christian maturity? We're going to spend the rest of our time on that. Um, the first is this. It's about Jesus rather than about religion. It's not about churchiness. It's not about a religious creed. It's about a person. Um, it's about looking and thinking like Jesus. I want to look like And I don't mean look like a, a Jewish rabbi from the first century, but I mean, I want my life to look like his life. I want to think in ways that are consistent with how God thinks. Uh, I want to live a life that's consistent with what Paul says in Romans chapter eight, where he says in 828, we all know that verse for God uh, works all things together for good that to those that love God and are called according to his purpose But in 829 is what he gives that purpose. And that's for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's not going to happen if you're dull of hearing. It will happen if you have a heart that's open and you're saying, Lord, feed me. Bread of heaven, feed my soul. Work in my heart. Correct me. Bring correction if you need to. Use me in ways that I'm not comfortable do things that are beyond my comfort zone because you're the king and I'm not. So it's about Jesus rather than about church or religion. Uh, we need the church, but it's about responding to life the way that Jesus responded to life. Uh it's not about memorizing, as good as it is, it's not about just memorizing Bible verses. It's not about just understanding what the flannel graph in Sunday school says. It's about serious life issues and how do I approach them and how do I deal with them. That's what maturity looks like. Uh, the second thing is this is about character more than age. Well, I've been a Christian for 40 years. okay. I've known some people that have been Christians for a long, long time that were not real mature. And I don't have anybody in mind. I'm not talking to anybody in particular in, in this group or online or anything like that. I'm just saying that if you look in God's Word, look at Samson. He was over 40. He was as immature as they get. He he His life didn't end well. I mean, yeah, he had the bold expression at the very end, but he didn't need to lose his life. He played games with God, and he lost. Uh, so it's not about age. You're never too old to be a baby in that sense, to be a toddler. And, and so the exhortation is, is grow up. Uh, you can be old and not smart when it comes to the things of God. In uh, Galatians chapter 5, we we read, about the fruit of God's spirit, uh, love, manifesting is joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and things like that. That's where maturity comes. When I yield to his sanctifying hand, when I yield to his work, and I say, Lord, here am I. Just let me be emptied out from me and filled with you, because if I get in there, I'm just going to mess it up. Let the fruit of your spirit manifest in my life. That's maturity. That's what it is to walk with him. So how can I do maturity? Looking at a brief definition from the text here. The first is absorb the word. Not just, don't just read it, but absorb it. You've got to have nourishment in order to grow. And that's what this is. It's nourishment to the soul. As I mentioned, that which you feed will grow. That which will starve you, you starve will die. If you feed your flesh, guess who's going to be on the throne in your heart? If you feed that old nature, that sin nature, guess who's going to be on the throne? But if you feed the spiritual man or woman, as you pour God's word in. And you and you take it to heart and you apply it. Remember, it says earlier in this book that the word that they heard didn't profit them. They heard it; it said that didn't profit them. Why? Because it wasn't united by faith or with faith in those who heard. They didn't believe it. They heard it. So, when we're talking about appropriating God's word, absorbing His word, don't just let it sit there. But let it go down. Let it have the effect that the Spirit of God wants it to have. As you apply it to your life, you'll grow. Uh, if you're not getting anything out of it, ask yourself the question, am I, am I hearing? Do I, am I using spiritual ears? Uh, Lord, get rid of any dullness in my heart. Let me take the things of your kingdom and the things that you put forth Seriously and with utmost importance, because your word is life. The second thing is by practicing the truth that I already know. I remember my daughter-in-law's dad, Pat. Many years ago, he's he he he's a uh, early onset Alzheimer's, and, and um, his life has been in, in serious shape for a few years. My heart breaks for him. He was a very close friend. We were talking at um, uh, a restaurant after church service one Sunday, and, and uh, I was talking about how excited I was about whatever we were studying at that time and and so I just can't wait to know more. And, and he looked at me very soberly and he said, you know, John, I don't concern myself about what I don't know about God. I concern myself with what I do know about God. And that stayed with me over the years. It was probably 25 years ago. It stayed with me and I, I thought there was such wisdom in that statement because I, I don't, I'm not going to concern myself about areas where God hasn't taken me but I want to concern myself where he has me. I want to concern myself with what he has on my plate today. And I've exhorted you guys before, don't think you know God's will for the person sitting next to you. Do business with him yourself, individually. And as we do that, as we concern ourselves, as we're about our father's business, he works in our heart and he produces maturity. That's how he's chosen to work it. So I practice the truth that I already know. That's what he means when he says to have your senses exercised. I don't put car keys in my mouth. Uh, no, I, I know better. I, I don't want to go back and just argue with people about the existence of God. I don't argue with people about, you know, water baptism. You know, I, I, I mentioned to you guys I think I told my church once, and I said it tongue-in-cheek, I said, I'll baptize you with a squirt gun. I am not going to divide with you over that. Eh, that would have been weird if somebody took me up on it. But the point is, is that we don't get, we don't, we're not going to scuttle over these basic understandings. No, I want to understand. I want to have grace for people that aren't in that place. I want to have grace for people that are maybe babies that are growing. I want to have, <coughs> excuse me, grace in my life but I want there to be substance to my walk. I want to deal with you from a substantial place. I want to deal with you, by the grace of God, from a mature place. And and I'm maturing just like you. We're all in process. So I'm not holding some weird expectation, but if God's already shown you something, walk in it. That's the point. I want to wrap up with looking at six marks of Christian maturity from Philippians chapter 1. This is an interesting passage. Uh And the Apostle Paul, the book of Philippians is the most joyful letter in all of the New Testament. The paradoxical thing about that is he's chained to a Roman guard in Rome. He's in jail. This is one of the prison epistles is what they're called. And it's he is so filled with joy and he is so adamant about being right where God wants him. And he's speaking these wonderful, encouraging words to the church at Philippi as he writes back to this church. And he's encouraging them. This is from a prayer that he prays for the Philippians uh, here in chapter 1. In verse 9 through 11, he says, "In this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in the knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus to the glory and the praise of God. Six things, six marks of maturity. The first is a mature Christian is marked by abounding love. Remember when we were in the Gospel of John, how over and over again, Jesus stressed. He said, when people open, they look in, they look into the doors of the church, they better see the love that you have for one another. I praise God that we have a very, we were talking to somebody new yesterday, and and, and she was saying, you know, we just love that there's so much love in this church. And, and I said, amen, and that's something that only God can do. And that as we express his love to one another, that's attractive to people that come. And so maturity is marked by an abounding love. Not just basically, it's easy. The Bible says it's easy to love people that are lovable. I, that's a no-brainer. Where the rubber meets the road is when maybe somebody isn't all that lovable. When my wife loves me and she knows how cranky I can be. Oh, I'm not cranky at church, but I can be cranky at home. The point is, is that... It, it, Our lives are marked with an abounding love. It's it's a love that we don't possess in ourselves, but proof of the Spirit's work in our lives is His fruit is manifesting. It's an abounding love. He says, in this I pray that your love may abound. In in verse 9, the mark of the covenant. Uh, They'll know you're my disciples by the way that you sacrificially love one another. That's what's being talked about here. The second thing is a mature Christian is marked by growing knowledge, that we want to grow. That, again, in, in verse 9, he says, In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge. It's not an empty love, it's not just a, a head knowledge that we seek, but it's an experiential knowledge that as God works in my heart, as I believe what he has to say, as I apply that to my life, that experientially I am growing and I have a hunger and a thirst to know him more, to experience him deeper, to apply his word to my life. That knowledge isn't something that's just so I can know it. It's so I can apply it. So that's a mature Christian. is marked by a growing knowledge. The third is a mature Christian is marked by spiritual discernment. Again, in verse 9 he says, In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more, in knowledge and all discernment, so what is discernment? It's seeing into the thing when you discern something uh, you the Holy Spirit very often gives us discernment that I discern things that are going on and when in the passage today he says that our senses are trained to discern good from evil, that we discern the direction that God wants us to go. We discern what the Holy Spirit is showing us. We discern. And that's not audible words. But very often when God speaks, it's up to us to discern that it's him speaking. And not only to understand that, but again, to take it to heart. And, and, and as he puts his finger on things in our lives, that we do business with him in those areas. That's a mark of maturity. The fourth thing here is a a mature Christian is marked by spiritual integrity. Uh, In chapter 1, verse 10 of Philippians, he says that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Spiritual integrity. I'm not living like the world. And and, and seeing, we were talking the other night, the men's deal, uh, uh, this Notion of how carnal can I live and still call myself a Christian? That's not it. That's not it. It's not how close to the edge can I can I get without falling over? Uh, no, it's just being. It's, it's understanding again. We live in a secure relationship. We are absolutely free, and and he who the son is set free is free indeed. And in that freedom, that. We exercise personal integrity because we want to bring God the glory. We'll get to that on this list because we want to live lives that count. And so we have integrity. The way I am here is the way I am at home. The way that I present Christ is what I really believe. That There's integrity. There's a continual thing in my life. I'm not putting on a show for somebody and then going off and doing my own business debaucherous thing it's it's integrity it's it's walking with integrity that's maturity it's understanding that as we looked at a couple weeks ago everything is open and bare to him to whom we give account and so therefore i walk in integrity i walk with an uprightness in my life the fifth thing is uh, a mature christian is marked by good works No, we're not saved by good works. It's not salvation by works. But show me your faith. James says, show me your faith and I'll show you what? I'll show you my works. We're saved unto good works, not by works. Ephesians 2 is real clear on that. But Paul says, you know, we're not saved by that, that, that anybody would boast. It's not about that. But we are his workmanship, his poema, that, we are saved unto good works. And, and so as we understand that, we're not arguing about, well, is it salvation by works? or salvation? No, we understand it's salvation by grace. We also understand that as we walk with him, as we grow, as he taps us into service, as we do things for the kingdom, that those are things that we're doing out of a heart that's filled with gratitude towards him. Those are things that he says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God in verse 11. So a mark of a mature Christian is that good works follow. They're part of what's going on. The the sixth and last thing here is a mature Christian is marked by glorifying God. I don't want, I'm not doing this for my glory. Oh, how terrible would that be to try to take the glory that only he deserves? Uh, he In chapter one, verse 11, he says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. How does that look in my life? How does that look in yours? Do you live your life for the glory of God? Is is are there areas to tighten up? Are are there things in, in these that are convicting? I know there are some of these that are convicting for me as I'm going through them yesterday in my study, I'm thinking, Lord, you know, some of these are pretty heavy. Some of these hit me where I live, and, and it was as though the Lord was saying, good. Because there are times where it's not a major correction, but there are times where God calls us and he puts his hand on things and he brings correction. He brings these corrections to our course and says, you know, I want you to tighten up. It's not that you know you're, we're walking headlong into apostasy. We'll look at that next week because that was a real fear for these people. Uh, and it's a real fear today for some. But the point that he's making in all of this is that we're not in a place where we have the ability to pull off living like toddlers before the Lord. He's saying, I want to develop maturity in you. I, I want to have you take the things of God seriously. I want to have you live for me and, and to live for me in a way that counts in a world that's dying, a world that's upside down and messed up. And, and the bottom line is discipleship class. Do you want discipleship class, discipleship 101 or 102? It's your life. Our life is the classroom through which he works. And as we yield ourselves as what the Bible calls us instruments of righteousness, as we yield ourselves to the, the sanctifying work of His hand in our lives, we grow. This whole thing it 's written to these Hebrew believers that were were waffling, they were wavering, they were drifting, they were hardening their hearts, they were not paying attention, they were beginning now to have dull ears and, and not taking in taking things to heart, therefore it wasn 't coming out. all of that is for our instruction, yeah, it was a, a strong exhortation for them. Take the exhortation if it 's for you this morning, if it 's not then then apply what does fit and leave the rest for someone else. Because, you know, at at the end of the day, maturity as a Christian is not complex. It simply requires practice. And, And like anything else, having our senses trained by it, having our experiences come to bear in our lives as the Holy Spirit uses those, circumstances, experiences, trials, things that we go through, joys. He's always working ahead of us. He's always teaching us. He's always calling us deeper. He's always working and maturing us more and more. Don't worry about what you don't know yet. Worry about what you do and how you respond to God with it. That's the point of this passage. And I believe God's message for the church, a very relevant message for the church today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, uh, this wonderful book. And Lord, uh, as we take these things to heart, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, we wouldn't be beat up.